I want to do something different tonight. We have just finished a 15-week series out of the book of Philippians on Wednesday night. And here we have this one Wednesday night remaining before we stop for Christmas. And I want to talk to you about something that nobody's thinking about tonight. I want to talk to you about the new year. Now, the fact is, we just finished Thanksgiving, so our minds are somewhat on that. Christmas is upon us. As Jimmy was saying, the singing Christmas tree starts next week, and so our minds are not only at church, are we thinking about the Christmas tree, the candlelight service, the Lord's Supper service. We're also in our own families, in our own lives. We're thinking about Christmas and the the family get-togethers and the meals together and the presents to buy, and so everybody's mind's on Christmas, and yet nobody's thinking about the new year. And yet the fact is, in less than two weeks, now you think about this, The singing Christmas tree will be over. The tree itself will be back in the warehouse. In a few weeks after that, Christmas will be over. And uh, the trees in our homes will all be put up. And we will stand at the precipice of a new year. The beginning of a new year. And as we look into 2024, and I'm just trying to get us to do this about a month earlier than we normally would. As we look into the new year, we ask ourselves this question. What is it in this year ahead that I need more than anything else? Now, you think about that tonight. I know you haven't thought about it, but I'm asking you tonight, as you think about the end of 2023 and the beginning of 24, what would you say you need more than anything else? If God came to you and God said to you, I'll give you anything you need. Anything you ask for, what is it that you would ask God for? I thought about that today. My list is not, it's not long, but it, it's not just one or two things. I think one of the things we would ask God for would be for mercy. God, I need mercy for my sins and for my shortcomings. Certainly we need that. We need God's grace along with that. One of the things we need is wisdom. Sometimes a person will say to me, John, what can I pray for you? And I most always say, please ask God to give me wisdom so I would make the right decisions in life. So we need wisdom. We need direction in life. But one of the things that we need more than anything else in life is we need a fresh word from God. We need to hear from God. A, A word from God can change everything about our life and everything about our situation. Let me give you a verse just to jot down. In Job chapter 23 and verse 12, Job said, He said, I have treasured the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. In other words, more than I need food, I need a word from God. And yet, did you know in your life, if you ignore the word of God, if I ignore the word of God, if we reject the word of God, if we disobey the word of God, there might come a time in our life when God stops speaking to us. Listen to this in Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. We read that God sent a famine on the land, not a famine for food or a famine for water, but a famine for his word. In fact, I want to just read this to you today because it's an interesting, interesting verse. Amos chapter 8 and verses 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, 
but shall not find it. Now, today I, was, I read that passage and I thought, a famine for the Word of God. And I thought, that's very much what we're experiencing in America today. There's a famine. There seems like the absence of God's Word. And yet here in this passage, God says, there's going to be a famine for my Word, but I'm going to be the one to send that famine on the land. Now you think about that. Why would God send a famine on the land for His Word? Well, it's because his people had rejected his word. They had not heard for his word, had not obeyed his word. And so God said, in essence, they're not listening to what I'm telling them to do. I'm not going to tell them to do anything else. And so there was a famine in the land, very much like it is today. So I'm saying to you tonight, I look at my own life, and I think about the things I need. And I'm telling you, at the top of that list, I need a word from God, a fresh word from God something that could give me direction in the year ahead. You know, sometimes in life, we're worried about something or maybe troubled about something, and, and we're praying about it. And sometimes in the most simple ways, God can give us a word that answers our question and that just sets us free. Or maybe we're trying to make a decision. We don't have wisdom, and God gives us that wisdom, and, and it just helps us to, to make the right decision and to know exactly what to do. And so sometimes in life, the difference between success and failure, between peace and no peace, between joy and misery, between direction and focus and just wandering through life, it just comes down to whether or not we have a clear word from God that God has said, this is what I want you to do. This is what you need to understand. And so tonight, I want us to think about that. Now, you still listen, say amen. I know that's a little different tonight, but I, I, I'm just saying that tonight to lay the foundation. Now, as we think about the beginning of a new year, and we think, well, I need a word. He's right. I need a word from God. I, I want to hear what God might say to me. So the question is, where do we, where do we get a word from God? Well, tonight, you, you, listen, you always get a word from God in the house of God when the, the, the preacher of God, whoever that might be, stands up and opens the Bible and you read it and you preach it. That, that's one. So tonight in God's house, we're all going to get some words from God tonight. So we're always wise to come to God's house. Sometimes we get a word from God just in our spirit. God's spirit will, will speak to our spirit and he will just give us an enlightenment or give us a word. And it's, it's a very personal thing. But the main way that we get a word from God is through his written word, the Bible. Now, just a few days ago, I went down to Mardell Christian Bookstore on the Gulf Freeway to look at Bibles. I, I like to look at Bibles, and sometimes I like to just buy a new Bible. And I bought a, I bought a Bible uh, it's a Christian standard Bible. It's a, great, it's a great translation. It's not my favorite, but it's a good translation. And this is the Spurgeon Study Bible. And so I said, you know, in 2024, I think I'm going to read, not exclusively, but some out of this Bible. And, and I've been doing that already in some of my Bible reading. I'm reading through second, First and Second Chronicles in, in the Spurgeon Study Bible. And I was home the other night, and I just had a feeling, read Genesis 1. Read it out of a different translation than what you normally read and read Spurgeon's notes on Genesis chapter 1. And so I got my Bible. I took about 10 minutes to read the chapter, took about 10 more minutes to read his notes. And I said to myself, this Bible is going to be a blessing to me next year because of what I learned just in 20 minutes of reading tonight from Spurgeon. And so what I want to do in this message tonight is for, uh, for us to open our Bibles, if we could, to Genesis chapter 1. 
And that's probably the most read chapter in all the Bible on New Year's Day. More people probably read Genesis 1 than any other chapter. But I want to show you four things tonight that I learned from Charles Spurgeon. Now, you may be visiting tonight and not be familiar with that name, Charles Spurgeon. He's the most influential preacher since the Apostle Paul. In his lifetime, he preached over 10 million people. He preached at Westminster, uh, not Westminster, he preached at... uh, that's Ken, Dr. Kendall's church. Where did Spurgeon? Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. I drew a blank. And preached there for many, many years. And he would preach his sermons on Sunday. And on Monday, those sermons would be written out and typed. And they sold those sermons all over London for one penny. Now, I know you think that's what some of these sermons that you hear are worth, about a penny. Well, his sermons were sold for a penny each every week. And through the years, they were put together in books. And now there's a 66-volume set of all, most all of Spurgeon's sermons. And so he's, the, he's considered the prince of preachers. And, and I want to just share with you tonight, because as we think about the end of one year and the beginning of a new year, I think these, these truths tonight that so bless me at, at my home the other night, I think they can bless you as well. So in Genesis chapter 1, let's just begin in verse, in verse number 1. We'll look at the first two verses and see what we can get from, from this passage of Scripture. Here's what it says. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let's say that together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first verse of the Bible. By the way, if you, if you believe that, you can believe anything else in the Bible. If you believe God took nothing and made everything, you can believe everything else in the Bible. Now, verse number two. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, here's what caught my attention when I read that. It's a different translation. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the waters. And here's the first thing that I wrote down, and it's in your outline tonight. Maybe the very first lesson we learn in all the Bible is simply this. God gives life to empty things. God gives life to empty things. In fact, when the creation happened, the world was absolutely empty. It was formless, no shape. Now listen to what Spurgeon says about this because I had never thought about this before. What he's doing here, he's he's making a comparison between creation and the Christian, between the created world and the child of God. And here's what he said, formless and empty. When God began to arrange this world in order, it was shrouded in darkness. And it had been reduced to what we call, for lack of a better name, chaos. That's what the, it was, chaos. But here's what he says. This is just the condition of every soul of man when God begins to deal with him in his grace. It is formless and empty of all good things. And so just like on the day one of creation... God looked out and he saw that, that the world was just to, it was total chaos. and There was no order to it. There was emptiness. God just spoke and God brought uh, meaning and life into that thing which was empty. And I say that tonight because sometimes in all of our lives we feel empty. We feel, we feel like we're running on empty. Or we feel like that, that we're not bubbling over. Or we're not as full of life as, as we would like to be or as we have been. But I take great courage in knowing that God gives life to empty things. He did it in the created world, and he does it with us when we come to him and when we're saved. Now, this second thing that that I want to share tonight is equally good 
In fact, this was the one that caught my attention after I read this the other night and just started thinking about what Spurgeon was saying. And that is this. When God created light, he did not eliminate the darkness. Now, we, we pick this up in, in the next verse, in the next verses, when we get into the actual days of creation. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning on the first day. And so, God created light but he did not eliminate the darkness. Now listen to, what, listen to what Spurgeon said. Let there be light. These were God's words. God had uh, but to speak the word, and the great wonder was accomplished. What, and then Spurgeon says this. God called the light day. Darkness first and light afterwards. It is so with us spiritually. First there is darkness, and then there is light. I suppose, he says, that until we get to heaven, there will be both darkness and light in us. Bad and good. Sin and purity. These things exist in us. And as to God's providential dealings, we must expect darkness as well as light. They will make up our first day and our last day till we get to the place where there are no days, but only the ancient of days, Jesus Christ. And so Spurgeon is saying something that I, maybe you have noticed this before. I've never thought of it. I've never seen it. When God made light, he did not eliminate the darkness. There was light, so there was not just darkness. I mean, before he made light, there was only darkness. But when he made light, he didn't remove all the darkness. There's still darkness for approximately half of the day. And that's how it is in our lives too. Sometimes in life, we find ourselves in a time of darkness. And we find ourselves where things are happening that we don't understand and, and that don't make sense to us. And it's, it's circumstantially dark. Let me give you a couple of verses. Put your program where we are in, in Genesis and turn to the book of Isaiah. And I want to show you two verses here about darkness and what God says to us about this. In Isaiah chapter 50 and in verse number 10, God is speaking here. And God said, who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant. Well, we would want to say, God, I try to obey you. I, I fear uh, you. I want to obey you. And then it says this, who walks in darkness and has no light. Now, you wouldn't expect that. When it, here it says, who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of God? You would expect the next part to say, who walks in the light and has no darkness? But it's not what it says. Who walks in darkness and has no light? That is the child of God in the will of God, seeking to serve God and to fulfill the purposes of God. Sometimes we find ourselves in circumstantially dark places. And this is what God is saying. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? And sometimes we say, God, that's me. I feel like I am walking in circumstantial darkness. But notice what God says to the person in that condition. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Listen, friend, if you're walking in darkness tonight, circumstantially, things happening that you don't understand that don't make sense, that doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. That may mean you're in the will of God. You know, sometimes we think that we, we encounter problems and challenges and difficulties because somehow we got out of the will of God. Sometimes that's true. Jonah ended up in the belly of a fish because he was out of the will of God. 
But the disciples ended up in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, not because they were out of the will of God, but because they were in the will of God. And just because we love God and are saved, that doesn't mean that it's going to be all light and no darkness. Sometimes we find ourselves circumstantially and even providentially in the dark. Now turn back a few pages in Isaiah to chapter number 45. Chapter 45 and verse number 3. God is speaking again and he's talking about the darkness. And notice what God says. He said, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. Notice at the first of that, the treasures of darkness. We don't think about there being any treasures in darkness. When we're going through a dark and difficult season, what the old theologians used to call the dark night of the soul. Sometimes it's not so much what's happening around us, it's, it's what's happening in us. And God seems distant, and our prayers don't seem to be reaching the ceiling, and, and we can't see any evidence of God working in our lives, and we say we're in, we're in the dark. We're, it's a dark night of the soul. God says there are treasures in the darkness. You'll discover things in the darkness that you never will find in the light. Go outside tonight. I'm not sure how cloudy it is out there now, but if it were a clear night, we'd go outside after church and look up, and, and we would say, say uh, hey, the stars are out tonight. Well, the fact is the stars have been out all day. You just can't see them until till the sun goes down. You can't see the stars in the daytime. You see the stars at night, and that's how it is in life. Sometimes we discover things about God. Sometimes we discover things about ourselves in the dark in the darkness, in the times when, when nothing seems to make sense and, uh, and, and circumstantially we are in the dark. So when God created light, he didn't eliminate the darkness. And God says to those tonight in the dark, trust me, keep moving forward, don't give up. Sometimes it's in the dark that, that we, we throw up our hands and want to give up on God or turn back on God. God says, no, now keep moving forward, keep trusting me. And you're going to come to the light. It says in Proverbs, the path of the righteous is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. So when we're in the darkness, we know it's only a matter of time till the light comes and we can see more clearly what God is, is up to and what God is doing in our lives. But when God created light, he did not eliminate the darkness. Now, another thing, back to my Spurgeon study Bible here that I learned in Genesis 1, is that God, I knew this, but I never had thought of it in relation to creation. God loves fruitfulness. He loves fruitfulness. Now let's look at this. Back in Genesis chapter 1, let's begin in verse number 9. Because now we're coming to the third day of creation. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in, according, uh, in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed uh, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Evening and morning came uh, on the third day. So on the third day of creation, by the way, if you've ever tried to memorize the six days of creation, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to do. If you can, I know we don't have a board up here to write with tonight, but if you could just imagine 
I'm going to turn this way so we're facing the same way. Imagine two columns, and on each column, you have three days. Day one, two, three. Day four, five, six. Now, let's try this. Day one, two, three. On day one, God created light. On day two, God created the sky and the water. And on day three, God created the land. Now, let's say that together. Light, sky, water, land. Let's say it again. Light, sky, water, land. One more time by yourself. Let's go. Now, if you can remember that, you already know all six days of creation. Because on days four, five, and six, God created what would inhabit what he had made. So, for example, on day four, see, day four corresponds to day one. This is an imaginary board right got behind us, right? So day four goes to day one. On day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's interesting. God created light three days before he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. It makes you wonder, where'd the light come from? It says to us, God's not dependent upon his own creation. Jesus is the light. I, I like to think on day one, God just said to Jesus, step forth one step and there'll be light. Because he's the light of the world. I don't know if that's had that happen or not. But on day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, how about day five? Well, day five corresponds to day two. On day two, you have sky and water. So on day five, what flies in the sky? Birds. And what swims in the water? Fish. So birds and fish are on day five. And then on day six, so on day three, we have land. On day six, you have man, you have animals at that time. So uh, that's, that's the six days. But on this third day of creation... When God made the land, he separated the the waters from the land. So now he's got the seas, and he's told them where to be. Now he's got the land, and it's, it's designated. But God looked at the created world. He looked at this land, and he noticed that the land was, was, was blah. He noticed the land had no fruit. And so on the same day, on this third day of creation, what did God do? God began to plant grass, and God began to plant fruit trees. God began to to spruce this up. I had never noticed this. But notice what uh, Spurgeon says here. What a strange place this world must have been with its plains and hills, with its rooks and vales, without one single blade of grass. Not even a tree. Not even a shrub. So at once, before that day was over, God threw the mantle of verdure over the earth and clad its mountains and valleys with forest and plants and flowers as if to show us, now listen to this sentence, that the fruitless is uncomely in God's sight, that the man who bears no fruit unto God is unendurable to God. There would be no beauty whatever in a Christian without any good works and with no graces. So God made land on the third day, but he looked at the land and he said, this land needs, it it needs grass, it needs trees, it needs plants, it, it needs something. And so God planted these fruit trees and it happened on the third day. And it says, I never had thought about this before, that, that God values fruitfulness in your life. I've thought about that today as I've been thinking about this service tonight. And I thought, you know, God values fruit in all of our lives. First of all, he values the fruit that the Holy Spirit works in us, the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace, the patience and the kindness and the goodness, the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control. God values fruit. God wants us to be, for us to be fruit-bearing Christians. I was listening to one of my favorite preachers. I happened to be in my car today 
when one of my favorite preachers was listening, was preaching, I was listening, he was preaching, and he was talking about, uh, well, he was actually talking about spiritual warfare, and he was talking about integrity, and talking about the need for us uh, to, to have integrity, and he made this, con- this comment to his congregation, he said, I'm going to say something tonight, it was a night sermon, he said, I'm going to say something, and it's going to come across as braggadocious, you may hear it wrong, but it's true, so I'm going to say it. He said, as I stand before you tonight, there is no unconfessed sin in my life. And he went on to say, and I'm quoting him because it's just very memorable how he said, he said, I would be a fool to stand here tonight and to preach to you the word of God if I had unconfessed sin in my life. He said, now, I'm not saying I never sin. He explained that. You know, he struggles like we all do. But what he was saying is, in his life, at that moment, there was no unconfessed, unrepented of, undealt with sin in his life. Now, folks, we've all sinned, and sometimes we do. It's one thing to sin, slip up sin, ask God to forgive you and move on. It's another thing just to live in sin. And what that pastor was saying, there's no unconfessed sin in my life. And as I, thought, as I heard him say that today, driving up Red Bluff, I thought to myself, I wonder if I could say that. I wonder if I could say, not to you, but just in my own heart, that there's no unconfessed sin in my life. And I just began today to examine my own heart and in my own life and ask God, you know, I didn't have to think long. You got to start revealing things and attitudes and sins to you. But the point is that God loves fruitfulness. He wants there to be fruit uh, in your life. And he certainly wants there to be fruit in my life. And he wants us to be able to say, whether we can or not is another issue. He wants us to be able to say, there's no unconfessed, unrepentant of sin in my life. As far as I know my own heart, the heart's deceitful. Sometimes we deceive ourselves. But as far as I know my own heart, every sin I've con- committed, I've confessed. And I've made that right with God. And I'm walking in the light as he is in the light. When I slip up in sin, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. But even from creation, Spurgeon reminds us that God loves fruitfulness. And so I'm saying as we begin a new year, I want to I be fruitful in, in the new year. But it begins by receiving a word from God. It, it, it begins by being right with God so that the, His Spirit can just flow through us unhindered, unblocked, undeterred. That His Spirit can just flow through us like that. So God loves fruitfulness. And then the last thing, I, I'm, I'm more familiar with this than I am the other three I've mentioned, but it's worth mentioning tonight, and that is simply this. Every person on this planet is made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. I'm made in the image of God. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the Jewish people. They're made in the image of God. We talked about the Palestinians. So are they. Even terrorist group, they're made in the image of God. The image is marred, but our image of God is marred. We've all fallen short. But look at it in Genesis chapter 1 in verse number 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and and female. And then in verse 28, it's interesting to me, the first thing that God did after he created Adam and Eve was he blessed them. 
God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And so God made man, Adam and Eve, in his image. God made you in his image. The person you're seating next to tonight, they're made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. And this is one of the reasons that we should love people. Because not only have we been made in the image of God, but they have been made in the image of God too. I would encourage you when you, especially go through the day and something happens and somebody says something or rubs you wrong or hurts your feelings or makes you angry, before you respond and react to that person, remind yourself, just like I am made in the image of God, that person has been made in the image of God too. And I don't know why I was thinking about this last night, but I got in bed and I, I, was, I, I, was, I was not thinking about this sermon, but I was thinking about the importance of having in our hearts unconditional love for everybody. And I thought, God, I want, I want, that, in, I want that in my life. I don't want there to be anything in me. I've been reading lately in 1 John in my New Testament reading, and John's so strong about you know, love one another. By this we know that we pass from death to life if we have love for one another. And yet, sometimes in life, we, you know, things happen. Sometimes you'll even see something. This is the type of stuff that happens to me. Sometimes I'll even see somebody on television. I don't even know them. And they'll say something. And I hear them say it, and I'd say, I know that's not, that's not true. That's not right. And you can, you can even have a bad attitude towards somebody you don't even know if you're not careful. And yet, God wouldn't want that. And so I was thinking last night, now, God, how can, how can my heart, be right, even in situations like that, in settings like that. And the first thing I thought of was the fact, remember, John, whoever said what, you know, even if it's not true and you don't even know them, they too are made in the image of God. And something else that came to my mind last night that's, to me, even, even stronger than that, is like God said to me last night, John, even though sometimes you might struggle loving somebody, or not, you know, just having bad feelings towards somebody like that and maybe not have the love for them that you ought to have. It was like God said to me, remember this, I love them and I live in you. And so what you need to do is you need to let me love them through you. That's something though about, about looking, if you, if you look at a person as made in the image of God and to know that, that just like God made you, God made them, uh, it just kind of changes how we would look at it and it changes how we would think of it. So again, tonight, I, I know this is different, but, but I just wanted to say what I said tonight to encourage all of us as we come to the end of this year and as we begin thinking about 2024 to ask ourselves, what is my Bible reading plan going to be next year? Because I really do believe my greatest need for the new year is a fresh word from God. And then not only what Bible reading plan, but what actual Bible are you going to read? I have so many Bibles, but which actual Bible are you going to read next year? And I'll tell you something else before we close these Wednesday nights out for the year. Y'all still awake, by the way? Say amen. Did you hear about the lady out in Sacramento? She said to her sister, she said, you know, I, I've never seen my pastor's eyes. And the sister said, never seen your pastor's eyes. You've been a member, you've been going to that church for 20 years. What do you mean you've never seen his eyes? She said, I've never seen his eyes. She said, when he prays, he closes his eyes. And when he preaches, he closes mine. So, uh, 
I'm making sure you're still awake out there and still listening. But I'll tell you something that, I, that might be a blessing to you. I did this. I don't know that I did it, but it, God did it to me a long time ago. At the end, of, on a particular year, it was in December. In fact, I, it was December the 27th of 2002. So it's nearly been 21 years ago. And I was down in Clear Lake at a gym exercising. And I was walking on a treadmill. Don't walk on a treadmill. And, uh, and you know how you walk on a treadmill? You pray a little bit. main thing you pray is, God, help me not to die while I'm walking on this treadmill. And I prayed that. But I was just thinking about the year ahead. And it, it was one of those times, and I, we all have this, where we pray. And it's, we don't even have an, a list. Of, we're just kind of, our mind's neutral. And yet we're kind of talking to God. And that's kind of how I was. I don't even know if I was saying a whole lot, but just kind of in the spirit of prayer. And as clearly as God has ever spoken to me, God gave me a word on that treadmill. And in fact, here's what God said to me. He said, John, for the next two years, you focus on me. You focus on me. It was so not audible I wish I could say I had these experiences more often, but I, and I, I don't. But I had it that night. For two years, you focus on me. And so I knew that God had told me what to do in 2003 and in 2004, focus on him. I came to the end of 2004, and I said, God, now you told me what to do for the last two years. I don't know what to do in 2005. And I went at the end of 2004 to Tennessee to hear a pastor preach by myself for a week, and I thought, I bet God's going to give me a word when I'm there for 2005. And I had a great, con- great conference, great experience over there, but I didn't get any word from God. I didn't get any direction for the next year. And I was kind of disappointed because it was November and then December, and I thought, God, I, don't have a- I-, I loved having a word for you to tell me what to do in those two years, and now I don't have a word. January came, and I still didn't have a, a clear word from God on what to do. I was visiting Bayshore Hospital. It's changed names now. But I was visiting one of our members in Bayshore Hospital. And had finished the visit and was fixing to go to the medical center to visit St. Luke, somebody down there. And I, I, I took the door at Bayshore to walk out the door. I'd already prayed over our member. And the lady who was in the bed said, hey, John. She said, by the way, before you go, I have a word. I have a, I don't know if she had a word. She said, I have a thought for you. And she, I said, well, I'll be glad to take it. And she shared a Bible verse with me, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And she said, I don't know why, but I just felt led to tell you that. I said, well, I appreciate it. I left her room, got in my truck, that, driving downtown. And it was like God said to me, you went to Tennessee in November for a word. You didn't get what you were looking for, but it came at Bayshore Hospital in January. That is my word from you. Delight yourself in me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean I'll give you everything you want. It means God saying, if you'll delight yourself in me, I, what I want for your life is what I'll place in your heart. And so back, that's been a long time ago now. And every year in December, and some years I get a word, and some years I don't. I haven't had as many lately as, as I had had back then. But I'll guarantee you as I go through December, I'll be asking God, God, do you have a word for me? What is a, a theme for me? And what, do you have a fresh word for me 
in 2024. Now, what I'm saying is, we just finished Thanksgiving. Christmas is upon us. It'll be very, very busy for all of us. Before we turn around twice, we're going to wake up and it's going to be New Year's Day. And if we haven't taken some time in December to at least think, what Bible reading plan am I going to use? Or if I'm not going to use a plan, what Bible am I? I mean, what am I going to read? And to, have, and to ask God, God, do you have a word for me for the new year that would put me on a path, that would, that would chart my course so that all through the year, whatever happens, I can remember that. You know, when I read that in Spurgeon the other night about the darkness, I thought, man, that's something I will carry with me for the rest of my life. When, when dark things happen and hard times come, we'll be reminded when God created the light, he didn't eliminate the darkness. But I would say this to you tonight. Never underestimate God's ability and God's desire to speak directly to your heart through his word, by his spirit, from another person, to give you exactly the word you need for whatever it is that you're facing in your life. Amen? And so, Father, that is our prayer tonight as we wrap up. And I know this is different tonight. This is really more me sharing about a quiet time than preaching a full-on sermon. But, God, I felt like it's what you wanted me to do. And so, Father, I just pray as we go from here tonight that you would give us between tonight and when we pick these services back up in January, that you would give us a fresh word from you for the year ahead that would apply and fit us just perfectly. And God, I pray in December you would even help us to get excited about our Bible reading that we'll do next year. And Lord, if we need a new Bible, help us go buy one. If we've already got all the Bibles we need, help us to choose the one that we're going to read. And help us every day, God, with your help to open up that Bible and to expect you to speak to our hearts. Now, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, it may be tonight. We don't have any music in the background. Everybody's practicing on the singing Christmas tree. Things are different now. But it may be tonight that you're in a dark place. Would you let God's word to Isaiah tonight be God's word to you? Let the one who walks in darkness and has no light trust in me. Would you affirm tonight your faith and your trust in God? Even in the darkness, thanking him that one of these days the light will dawn and things will be clearer. Some tonight, you're in the ultimate darkness. You've never been saved. There's never been a time in your life when you ask God to forgive you for all of your sins and to come into your life and to save you and make you a Christian. We've been seeing people on Wednesday nights, our smallest service of the week. We have All year long, we have seen, not every week, but throughout the year, we have seen people saved on Wednesday night. Tonight, if you don't have peace with God, would you pray this prayer right now? Dear Jesus... Come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be.